Would you please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 13 through 44. This is going to be our text for this morning. By God's grace, we're going to be renewed in our strength of what a good shepherd we have in God, especially in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, as I read and as you follow along, that this is God's Word. It is living and life-giving and powerful to save, to transform, to reform your heart as it is preached and proclaimed. Listen to it carefully then. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he, named Christ, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into their surroundings, countryside, and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves? Do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let us pray once again. Heavenly Father and glorious Lord, your word has been read. O Lord, now it is the time that we plead with you for the unction of the Spirit upon the preacher and upon the hearts of the people that hear. Lord, we need your Spirit to open your Word, but also to open our hearts to your Word. Oh, Father, so I plead with you, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasant in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And thus, and with confidence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Children. I want to begin this sermon addressing you, because I want you to be assured that this sermon is for you too. You see, this is the nursery of the Holy Spirit, as some theologian has said recently. So let me ask you, how would you feel if all of the sudden uh, your parents would stop talking to you at all? How would you feel about that? I know that sometimes they say no to you, and you're kind of upset with them because they say no to you so many times. But I believe that if you think carefully, you know that life is better because they are there for you, don't you? 
I know you do. All those questions you have, especially all the why this, why that, without anyone at least trying to answer throughout the whole day, can you imagine that? And I also had some friends in the church that I grew up with that didn't have parents, or at least had one, only one of the parents. But the church was still such a blessing to them as the church is called to be their spiritual family. And I want you, children, to remember this when you see another baptism here in this church. You're going to see that the pastor is going to ask the congregation if they're going to assist that family in the spiritual nourishment of that children, ch child. And that is specifically because the church is supposed to be your spiritual family. So you should love the church because they are indeed your family. Anyhow, all of us grown-ups can remember how frustrating that would be if our parents just stopped talking to us at all. And that is because as human beings, we have a fundamental need for guidance. For someone to lead us in the way. As children need the voice of their parents. Adults need the voice of the state and the church. Both institutions explicitly commanded by God in His Word. And all creation needs, from its inception, the voice of its Creator by which they came to existence in the first place. And even this wicked and crooked generation that we live in bear witness even unintentionally, to this truth. Because they are not content with merely being tolerated in society, but they need everyone to affirm vocally their lifestyle. And this has a broad application too. From the transgender to the abortion movement, they all want the same. It is not enough for them that you would not hate them, that you would love them, actually. But they want your voice to affirm their practices. And where is that coming from? Their need of affirmation is further evidence of that deep human longing from an external voice coming to us and guiding us that will lead us in the way we should go. This is a living testimony that every human being needs a shepherd. And our text here addresses this very need. In fact, the whole Gospel of Mark is about the shepherd that the crowd in our text needed. But not only them, that you need, my friend, this morning. Regardless of who you are in this world, you are a man and you are dust. And there are things that are too complicated for you to overcome. Maybe you are here this morning and you don't belong to Christ just yet. Maybe you're looking for a purpose in your, in your life for true fulfillment. And this text is for you, if that is you. But if you already belong to Him, if you already confessed His name, if you already love Him, you need this word afresh, especially as difficult times approach. For this preaching of the very Word of God is that will, what will protect you as you go forth in this world as a pilgrim. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point to this Christ's identity and work. And each of them has its own angle to give us a full orb view of our Savior. And this is, the, apart from the resurrection, the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. But each of them I could preach a different sermon because they have different aspects of the richness of the person of our Savior, you see. And the way Mark develops uh, this Gospel is quite interesting. He's very succinct, 
fast. He's focused more on Christ's actions than his words. So in that sense, we could say that he's more concerned with showing Christ to us. And he did that with the purpose of building up an identity of Christ as not only the Son of God, but also God the Son, as he said in the very first verse of this gospel. And so far, he's building the blocks of the identity of the Messiah. He's the one who has authority over the demonic forces. He's the one who has authority over the forces of nature by calming a storm. He has authority to forgive sins. He has authority over the Sabbath. But now he wants his readers, he wants you today to understand something peculiar about Jesus Christ. He wants you to understand, and this is our sermon in a sentence, as I like to call. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who alone is competent to satisfy all your needs. I'll say that again. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who alone is competent to satisfy all your needs. And these are the two things that we're going to consider. Compassionate shepherd, competent shepherd. Let's begin then with compassionate shepherd, verses 30 through 34. Notice first here in your Bibles, uh, in verse 30, that he is compassionate towards his disciples. The disciples had returned from the mission and were reporting to their master what they had done and taught. And in verses 31 and 32, we notice that Jesus wanted some alone time with them. For as they were talking to Jesus, there were so many people coming and going, even the wonderful things that they were able to do in the power of the Spirit, that they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus, seeing them tired and needing rest, took them aside and departed with them to a desolate place. Verse 32. Notice already that almost as an aside in our text, what an important thing it is for a disciple to have a time of private fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that the disciples were reporting back to Jesus based on His calling for them. Couldn't you do just, couldn't you do just the same as you have Him in your private communion with your Savior and you report to Him in prayer what, how you have been discharging the specific callings that He has for your life, in your workplace, in your family, as a child, as an adult. I believe J.C. Ryle brought this point to my attention that prayer, especially when preceded by meditation in Christ's words in Scripture, is a safe way for us to find discernment, strength, and help. Aren't we called as Christians to draw near to the throne of grace so that we may find that very help in time of need? Have you been doing this? I need to ask you this morning. Sometimes, sometimes we tend to forget that Christianity is deeply personal. And we begin to treat Jesus almost as a doctrine or as an idea. And we forget that He's a person. We forget that as he taught the apostle, apostles, his ascension to heaven, to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, as we just confessed. It was for theirs and ours advantage, so that we may receive the Spirit, in that he would not only be a God with us, but God within us. Grace upon grace indeed. So fellowship with the triune God is the ultimate goal of your life. You see, our chief end is to glorify God and 
enjoy Him forever, isn't it? And every Christian has received the Holy Spirit to the very purpose of that they would enjoy the privileges of being called children of the living God and by whom we have access to the Father, Ephesians 2, 18. Therefore, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go away, turn off your cell phones, and enjoy some time of undisturbed fellowship with your master, you see the shepherd of your soul. Notice how that Jesus is also compassionate, not only towards His own disciples, but also towards the crowd or multitude in our text. After all, though they were not disciples, they are still God's image bearers. And as the crowd noticed Jesus and the disciples going to another place, they ran so fast and even got there first. By the shore. And Mark wants you to picture that scene in your mind, I tell you. In verse 44, we learn that this multitude was comprised of 5,000 men. And we learn from the Gospel of Matthew, for example, that this is apart from women and children. Now, can you imagine the noise as they ran? Can you picture the amount of dust that was being lifted up as like 5,000 men plus women and children were running by the shore to get there first? The hustle? So Mark's pictorial language means to communicate to your mind an image of complete chaos. You see? So that you may begin to grasp the crowd's desperate in dire situation. And then as Jesus steps out the boat, see his appeal for your senses now. Jesus goes out of the boat and then Christ saw that hopeless, chaotic crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And there's much, much history and theology behind that idea of sheep without a shepherd. We can trace that image back to the Garden of Eden when God was the shepherd of Adam and Eve, his first sheep. And as their sin disrupted that fellowship, mankind wandered as sheep without a shepherd. And as their sin, you see, uh, disrupted that, we may also jump to Jacob. You see, Jacob, the one who encompasses in him both Abraham and Isaac, the line that God has chosen to guide leading their shepherd. You see, Jacob even confesses in Genesis 48 that God has been his shepherd throughout his whole life. And through Jacob's seed, the nation of Israel going to Egypt grew abundantly. Then as the people were oppressed, as they didn't have a shepherd, the Lord raised up Moses, a shepherd by vocation, to take them out of Egypt, to be a leader, a shepherd among those people. But then Moses sinned against the Lord. And he was condemned not to enter the promised land. And then he prayed, Lord, I understand your judgment. But please raise a leader so that for the people so that they wouldn't be like sheep without a shepherd. Numbers 27, 17. Then the Lord answered the prayer, appointed Joshua. And through him they conquered, divided, and took possession of the land. You see. But then we can advance to the days of the judges. Clearly sheep not having a shepherd. Everybody doing what was right in their own eyes, wasn't it? Then we can fast forward to the monarchy with David, 
What a beautiful image we have in the Davidic dynasty. A glimpse of hope as the tribes are now united. Everything is going well. The Lord has given rest uh, from their enemies to the people of Israel. But you see, David, a shepherd before, also now was the leader in the unified kingdom. But once more, in his demise, the people fell into idolatry. And once again, they were like sheep not having a shepherd as the prophets have said, your punishment, Israel, for your idolatry would be exile. What about that? Is there any hope for this bunch of sinners? Is there any hope for us? Yes. Yes, indeed. The same prophets who prophesied the exile, they also prophesied a new and better and able exodus to save us from our own miseries. And that... Exodus will be done by someone who is greater than Moses. And the people will be led by a king that is greater than David. And you read about that clearly in Ezekiel 34. This passage, Ezekiel 34, is actually so tight with ours in this morning. That passage begins with a description of irresponsible and oppressive shepherds among God's people. While the Davidic king, who is closely connected to Yahweh... Stands out as the solution for their disgrace. And here in Mark, just a few verses before, in the death of John the Baptist, you see the leaders of God's people in the persons of the priests and Herod. Instead of guiding the people, they were oppressing the people, just like the oppressive shepherds in Ezekiel 34. And then by way of contrast, just like light shines forth more brightly in the darkness, we have the contrast of the great Shepherd, the good shepherd in the perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, note now with all of that in your mind, how the good shepherd responded to the crisis of that multitude. What did he do? Verse 34, he began to teach them many things. Perhaps the marvelous miracle of the multiplication of food Uh, takes all the attention, but the feeding process, you see, starts right here. He began to teach them many things. How often do we pray for the daily bread while forgetting to meditate and rejoice in the bread of life himself, Christians? Quite often, isn't it? We are so earthly-minded that we tend to forget that the thing that will echo in eternity is that treasure that really matters after all. Do you realize, my friend, that going through your life caring mostly about your temporal goods, eating, drinking, sleeping, enjoying sensual pleasures, you're losing sight of that very thing that makes you, as an image bearer of God, different than the beasts of the field. And that thing is your capacity to relate to the Lord Himself through His Word. Take heed of His words. Prepare yourselves to receive them, for it is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. It is a lamp to your feet and a guide to your path. Receive it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, as you were exhorted here in your very bulletin. Saving faith comes by hearing of God's Word, and it is by faith that we are united to Christ, the Good Shepherd. Listen to Him as His Word is preached. It was Him who said in John 10, My sheep hears my voice. And recognizes it. Can you recognize his voice today? If you can, please pay attention to this. 
do you see why the teaching ministry is a priority in the church? Because it was Christ's priority to them. And therefore, since the church is Christ's, her priorities are also Christ's. And this is peculiar here. You are Christ's church in Charleston, aren't you? But look again at the text and see another aspect of his ministry. He cared for people. He had compassion. Do you care about people? Do you see them as eternal souls in need of a shepherd? Or perhaps if you're having a busy day as obstacles for you to accomplish your goal for that day in your terms of productivity. It is easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Put together orthodoxy and compassion and you have Christ's ministry. Indeed, true orthodoxy breeds compassion and genuine compassion only flows from orthodoxy. May we never put asunder what God has joined in good doctrine and love. These are tight together. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who alone is competent to satisfy all your needs. have seen thus far that he is a compassionate shepherd, but that is not enough. You see, that multitude and you need not only a shepherd who is compassionate, but if he couldn't do anything about it, that wouldn't help you much. But he's not only willing, he's also able to satisfy your need, all your needs. So let us now take meditate on this second aspect from verses 35 and 44 here, the competent shepherd. And I want to point your attention now to the fact that Mark has been loading this passage with a Greek word that literally means great or many. And he did that to emphasize the greatness of the need of these people. And by emphasizing the greatness of the need, guess what? He's emphasizing the greatness of the one who is about to address the need, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in verse 31, we read that many, this is the word, many were coming and going. 33, many knew him and ran after him. 34, we read that Jesus saw a great, same word, rendered differently, but same Greek word, and taught them many things. And finally, in verse 35, the disciples saw that the hour was already late. That is the same Greek word. So he's piling up that word to draw your attention to that point. Because we have different rendings in English, uh, it's easy for you to miss that point, but it is some matter, matter of emphasis here. And I'm pointing this out because he's trying to emphasize to you what a great shepherd we have right here. He is capable of dealing with that mess that they got into it. So the more we think about the circumstances surrounding this event, the more <clears throat> the disciples' suggestions make sense. Verse 36, there was a huge crowd. It was late. How could they feed all these people? After all, the Lord Himself told them back in the beginning of chapter 6, Hey, when you go in the mission, I'm sending you now. Don't take anything with you but a staff. And now you're asking us to feed 5,000 men plus women and children? You see, they were disregarding one thing, ignoring the one to whom they were speaking, the Son of God. He is the one who can overcome all things. 
and he had proven to them already. He, they themselves had said, who is this that even the winds obey him? I want you to see that Mark is further and more specifically presenting Christ to you this morning as that new and greater Moses that Ezekiel 34 and other sorry, that the Old Testament prophets speak about, as I have mentioned here before. Notice how in verse 35 we have the word that in your ESV Bibles, desolate. And this is the third time that this word appears in our text. Also in verses 31 and 32. And this word literally means desert or wilderness. Remember, the prophets prophesied about a greater exodus through a greater Moses. And the exodus, the original one, took place through the desert or wilderness. And this ought to ring a bell in you. He's drawing a theological parallel here to convey that Christ is the fulfillment of that. The greater Moses, Jesus, is now in the wilderness, in the desolate place, about to feed his people. As Christ was about to feed his people with bread and fish, just as Moses fed them with manna and quail. You see, this is the one before us that Moses himself talk, spoke about. There will be a greater prophet than me. Listen to him. Deuteronomy 18. So Jesus Christ is the competent shepherd who can overcome any circumstances. And more importantly, this is a detail that Mark brings. This is a unique angle that he brings. He does so. He overcomes circumstances by operating through means. You see, here we don't have a focus on Christ as the bread of life as we have in John, for example. But here Mark focuses on Christ using the disciples especially in verses 37 through 41. You see, as a follow-up to the disciples' suggestion, he says, you give them something to eat. And they respond, do you want us to get the enough money of a man working for eight months, 200 denarii, and feed these people? You see, they forgot who was giving the orders. And then Jesus gave them graciously further instructions. And the answer for the, his inquiry, how many food do you have there? That was not very encouraging, was it? I don't think so. I mean, my son could eat that much, probably. <laughs> but do you remember the picture of chaos that Mark drew for us from that crowd? People running all around, all the dust and noise and mess of people running through the coast. Now that the shepherd is here, he starts to do what? Bringing order out of chaos. Notice here the organizing that Mark explicitly stated that culminated in Jesus organizing them in groups of hundreds and fifties. Just like, guess what? Moses did in the wilderness in Exodus 18. Another parallel here, striking one. But the Old Testament echoes don't stop there. We have them sitting on green grass. While the verb to sit down can also be translated as to lie down. So Christ, the Lord, is causing the people to lie down in green grass while He prepares a table for them. Now, I can see in your face that you're thinking, and that's not mystical. It's just, I know you know. Psalm 30, 23, right? That's the, that's the bell that rings. And if we couple that with Ezekiel 34, especially beginning on verse 11, 
of that passage. This is your homework for this afternoon. Read Ezekiel 34, where God describes himself as the shepherd. Then all of a sudden, in verse 33 of 23 of that shepherd, all of a sudden, the Lord was the shepherd, and then my servant, David, is going to be the shepherd. So you see that this shepherd would be a unique son of David who was so identified with God to the point of being one with God. In all of this brings us to Mark 6 here, to prophecy and fulfillment. What an image, what a beautiful image we have here of Christ as the new Davidic king who would restore order, David's son, yet David's Lord. Notice how Mark is emphasizing the further progression in the organization of this crowd. You see, the New King James Version captures well this progression by following the Greek text exactly and translating each different word with a different English name. See, in verse 33, we have a multitude or a crowd. And that gives way, in verse 39, to groups. See, a crowd is less organized than a group, isn't it? And finally, in verse 40, the ESV repeats the word groups But some translations will say ranks, almost a military level of organization. It is a different word, actually. And the word, actually, in verse 40, the last one, could be rendered, and that was interesting, as garden plots. So when you put together that you are in a desert, but then you see green grass, and suddenly the people are being described as garden plots, it is fair for you to ponder, as I did in my study upon preparing this message, What in the world is Mark doing here? Remember when I said that the same prophets who prophesied about the exile also prophesied about a new exodus that would be brought about by a greater Moses and also a greater David. Remember how Jesus is both here in our text. So what Mark is doing is drawing an image here of the future Zion. There's such a striking parallel in Isaiah chapter 35. I'll read that to you in a minute. But drawing theology from Isaiah is not a new thing for Mark. He started his gospel in Mark chapter 1 by quoting, as this prophet Isaiah said. And throughout the gospel, he's going to do that a lot. Now listen to this uh, um, in, in Isaiah 35, 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. You see, Isaiah saw a desert becoming a garden or even this fallen creation being restored by its creator to its original purpose and pointing to the day that the Lord himself will feast with his people in the new heavens and new earth. So what we have here in our text is a token of that final fulfillment. I grant you that this is far from a meal. Bread and fish is far from a meal. Far from a banquet, actually. It's merely a meal. But as theologians like to put it, we live in an era of the already, but not yet. Which means simply that we can already taste some blessings that were, is, are ours in Christ. But we are still heading to the final fulfillment of all the Lord's promises, you see. So Christian soldier, it is good now, your fellowship with the Lord. But there is more to come, more intimate fellowship. So press on. In this Christian walk. Then in verse 41, we have the actual physical feeding of the people. And how Christ performed this miracle is significant. He looked up to heaven 
This is a common language for prayer in the Bible. You see that all throughout the book of Job and also Psalm 123, for example. And then he blessed the loaves. And having blessed the loaves, he broke them and gave to his disciples. And the sacramental language here is very clear. It is the same language that Mark himself used when the Lord is instituting the Lord's Supper in chapter 14. But what we have here is a little bit more than that. We can see and taste the goodness of the triune God in action. You see, Christ is so great that not only what He does, but how He does teaches us so much. In this way of performing this miracle, He's teaching us that all things come from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit whom He had received beyond measure upon His baptism. And you see, the shepherd did not only give them a little something to eat, but everyone ate and was satisfied. And at this point, I need to ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe this miracle? Because there's going to be a bunch of people, especially you young folks. There's going to be a bunch of people in college and all of that. They're going to call you fools for believing in miracles like this. So I need to ask you, do you believe in this? If that is the case that you're going to hear people saying that to you, let it be your resolve to be a fool for Christ among a crooked and unbelieving generation. And in case you missed verse 43, we already have 12 baskets of leftover. And many commentators will speculate about the meaning of this, but I think it's very straightforward. As the passage started in a very personal note, take it, let's, let me take my disciples aside. I think the number 12 is relevant here in the sense that I'm going to give a testimony for each one of you so that you may believe. But as you see, that's going to be um, not received well as in Mark 8. As they are in the boat and Jesus says, oh, you have the leaven of the Pharisees. And they think that Christ is mad with them because they didn't bring food. And Christ is like, come on, how many? Do you think I'm worried about food? How many baskets you have of leftover in that episode in Mark 6? And they say 12. And Christ says, how can you still not understand? Oh, man. Can you see how powerful Jesus is? He's more than capable to use ordinary people just like you. Someone once said, God must love ordinary people with ordinary gifts because He made a lot of them. And that's true, isn't it? Do you feel inadequate or incapable? Look how He used these slow-minded men as apostles. He can use you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Or maybe you ponder, I don't know your lives particularly. I am in such a difficult situation in my life right now that I don't think anything can be done about it. Remember, He is almighty. And if you doubt this morning that He can do something in your life, let me... Repeat the question he asked his disciples to you, disciples. How can you still not understand? Ephesians 3.20 To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power of the Spirit that works within us. Go to him. And if you are his sheep already, I am sure you can hear his voice now. So go to Him again, for you need His grace not only to start, but to continue in your Christian walk. If you're not a Christian this morning, 
I know that you have a need that nothing that you try or experience can satisfy you. I've been there in these very pews, listening to the gospel preached without being a Christian. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy all your needs. And you know why I know that? Because He is everything that you need. Therefore, on behalf of Christ and as His minister, I am offering His gospel to you at this very moment. Come now and take it without price or money. Repent and believe in Him, and you shall be saved. He will give you a purpose. I am not promising that everything will be nice. There's going to be challenges. As we all know, there's going to be challenges. But we should expect to overcome the challenges because He has overcome the world. He's the good shepherd who gave His life as the ransom for His sheep. And as I said in the beginning, we all need a shepherd to guide and lead us. And Jesus Christ is the compassionate shepherd who alone is competent to satisfy all your needs. Therefore, Christian, do not fear. For in Christ, you have a compassionate shepherd who not only cares for you, but is entirely able to preserve you not only from this life, but in the life to come as we will see tonight if you come back. And though you may walk... In the valley of shadow of death, his rod and staff will comfort you. And in the end, you will dwell securely in his house forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this marvelous gift that it is your word. Oh Lord, we we're saved by you, we are instructed by you, we are kept by you, we are transformed by you. Oh Lord, you are in the center of everything and we still try to make it about ourselves all the time. Have mercy on us, sinners. Oh Lord, use your word this morning to transform lives, to do that with which your unprofitable servant can't. You are the shepherd of your people. You are the one that speaks when your word is faithfully preached. So Lord, I pray that you would transform these people's hearts. And that you would conform them to the image of your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen.